Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. This is my city. These are my people. I've seen a lot of things in this town. Things I don't like. Bad people taking advantage of the weak. Good people down on their luck. Innocent people suffering. Talk to God a lot. Sometimes he talks back. So I ask him, what are you going to do something about all this? You know what his answer was? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. My name is Habakkuk. This is my story. I want to welcome you to part two of our current series, Habakkuk. And if these cards are to be believed, you guys got some questions, some preguntas for los dios, for God. Questions for God. Last week, if you're just joining us, we left you with a tantalizing prompt that said this. If God would answer one question, what would you ask him? And we got a ton of connection cards. And like the Habakkuk, the prophet, really, a lot of you are wrestling with some tough questions for God. Uh, for Just to give you an example, this one just simply says, where is she? Uh, where, <laughs> where's that girl, okay? Uh, a lot of those, you know, when am I going to get married? Where's Mr. Right? That kind of thing. A lot of relationship questions. Some of them, uh, a lot of why questions. God, why does it feel like sometimes you are so far away? Um, God, why is my father an alcoholic? Serious stuff. Um, God, why do unethical people succeed at life typically at the expense of ethical people. A um, lot of questions about the unfairness of life. I mean, these are some profound questions. Um, why are severely disabled children born seemingly to suffer and die? These are tough questions. Some of them, quite honestly, I, I just was touched by the honesty of what you guys had to ask. Um, this one actually said, why did my wife have to die in that car accident? Unbearable losses. Um, what was the point of everything that my brother went through? Um, why did I... Why, why did I lose my job? Some of you can relate to that, particularly in the recession that we're going through. And some of them, uh, it was interesting, some of you are, are kind of wrestling through your career or your calling at this point. One person said, God, why did you call me to be a physician when my heart is growing more and more cold to my patients and the people around me? I'm like, wow, that is honest, incredible. And some of them are when questions. When am I going to get custody of my kids? Um, when will we be able to conceive a child, if ever? I mean, tough stuff. And if these questions are an accurate sampling of what some of the people in our community are really struggling through, that means the vast majority of people at our church are wrestling with some profound questions for God. Now, just so you don't get totally bummed out or wind up depressed here, I want to end with this one. I love this. This is my favorite card of all, just to lift your spirits. This person's one burning question for God was, Lord, what are next week's lottery numbers? I was like, that was good. Good for you. Good for you, Jim. 16, 47, you know, too, what kind of thing. Uh, Why? (laughs) When? How long? All of these questions fall under the banner of where's God when life seems unfair? That was the core question, if you remember, 
that Habakkuk the prophet brought before God as he watched the world just like gone bad around him. It was like corruption and violence were rampant. And he was like, God, why are you letting all this bad stuff happen? And if you recall, God's answer was kind of unsettling. He was actually like, Habakkuk, I got news for you. Things are actually going to get worse. I'm going to allow the Babylonians, which was a nation infinitely more wicked than Israel, rise to power, sweep in, and decimate the, the, the whole nation. And that set Habakkuk staggering. You remember this? It rocked his faith. I don't understand. It set him wrestling. That's what Habakkuk's name means. Remember this? It means to, to embrace or to what? Wrestle. And that's the main theme of Habakkuk chapter 1, wrestling. Last week, I showed you this little graph from Seth Godin's book, The Dip, and how Craig Rochelle kind of said, you know, it's kind of like our, our spiritual journey in some ways. And it kind of traces this little graph that looks something like this. And some of you are like, that's like a roller coaster. Indeed it is. And it's also like our journey of faith. Idea is this. Most of us start out here before we believe anything about God or, or faith, but then something happens in our life. God starts kind of stirring something in our soul, and then we have a conversation with someone, and all of a sudden it's like, man, she has a lot of faith. That's incredible. I, I can't believe it myself, but I don't know. Is there something to this prayer thing? So you start praying, and then all of a sudden you see something happening. You're like, maybe it's true. And then you go to church, and all of a sudden something speaks to you in the message, and you're like, I can't believe this. I'm not going to become one of those Jesus nuts, but I'm starting to believe, and I don't know. And your faith starts going up, and then there comes this moment where you believe for the first time, and you can't believe it, and your friends can't believe it, because it seems like you're on the, anybody? Jesus juice. Thank you. <laughs> if you're here for the first time, you're like, what kind of church is this? What's the Kool-Aid they're drinking? It's purple. Uh, you're on the Jesus juice. And some of your friends are like, he's weird because now he's like telling everybody about Jesus. And he says, we just got to pray about it. And all these things happen. And so your journey just keeps going up and to the right like this until one day you go to church. You know what? That message didn't connect with me. It's clearly Tim. And, uh, and you know what? My, uh, I actually, uh, my girlfriend who led me to Christ, we actually broke up. And I don't even know if I believe this anymore. And in fact, my mother, who had that diagnosis, is getting ill, and God's actually doing just the opposite. She's getting worse. And we have what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. It's at this moment where most people do one of two things. They say, either I want to go back to the way things were, to the mountaintop with the Jesus juice, or give up entirely. Go back or give up. I don't think this is real at all. What happens in your life when what you see in the world around you no longer correlates to what you previously thought about God? All of a sudden, you don't know what you believe anymore. And we have this crisis. The idea we've been working on is saying, this is the critical moment in your journey. And some of you are in it right now. And it is called the dip. It is this hot zone right here, the dip of doubt. And the question is this, if you go back or you give up, you are missing out on a very important part of your journey of faith. Because this is the moment where if we lean in and actually trust God, not just to make things better, because you know what? Things may actually get worse. God still doesn't seem to be answering my prayers. My life still seems like it's kind of at a standstill. I'm not making any progress, but I'm going to lean into God and trust that if I stuck in with this, he's going to give me the momentum and use this dip to take me to a new level in my relationship with him, a level of trust and security and intimacy that I never could have gotten to on myself had it just kept going straight. Because the compelling idea is that our faith 
is more like a roller coaster than a straight linear line. That's actually how most of life is, isn't it? Like a roller coaster. And the idea here is that God, if you stick with him, will use this dip in your life to create the momentum in your life to take you to a new level of faith in him that you never could have gotten to on your own. The dip. I told you how that worked in my own life when my father was diagnosed with cancer. And my family started questioning everything we thought we knew to be true about God and how he takes care of people who who are faithful to him and love him and he rewards those who love him. Isn't that how the verse goes? And all of a sudden, this dip became the thing that slingshotted us to trusting and worshiping God's character, not just our circumstances. Because you can't just stay on the Jesus juice forever. Your faith can't just be out of a sippy cup the whole time. I love Jesus as long as he gives me what I want. He wants to take us where we love him for who he is, not just what he does. Ooh, I'll stop. Habakkuk chapter one, if you remember the theme, who remembers it? Chapter one was called what? Wrestling, it starts with a W. Chapter two, in here, what do we do? We wait and wait and wait some more. As God forges his character deep inside of our heart, but the point is this, if we wait it out, he can be counted on to teach us the point of our whole life, how to worship him in a brand new way and trust him even when things seem like they're going from bad to worse. That's what faith literally is. Well, today we're in chapter two and I want to talk about what it means to wait on God. Because some of you are in that period at chapter two, if you're in the dip in your career, in a relationship, in life, what do you do with your weight? Our answer is found in Habakkuk chapter 2, and I want to invite you to turn there with me. Take your Bible if you would. It's on page 652. And we're going to look at the first four verses of Habakkuk chapter 2, and you can just read this with me. Um, Habakkuk says this. He begins, he says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will what say to me And what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Verse 3. For the revelation awaits a what? Let's say it together. An appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, everybody, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not right, but the righteous will live by his faith. And we'll stop there. Four verses in Habakkuk chapter 2 that teach us what it means to wait on God. And this is key, because that's a phrase if you hang around Christians or church world for any amount of time that you hear all the time. Well, I'm waiting on the Lord. It's kind of one of those Christian cliches. We use it for everything. Some of you guys know we have our... 5k rock and run for africa coming up and you saw pastor tom's trying to you know he's maybe he's gonna get in shape for this thing And i saw him this week i was like dude so did you pray about it did you decide are you gonna run this 5k you're gonna get in shape and he's like oh i'm waiting on god i got waiting on god you know i gotta tell me and uh oftentimes we have no idea what it really means to wait on god worse it's kind of a smoke screen we use for like a lack of progress in our life yet learning to wait on god i want to tell you is one of the major disciplines of the christian life And we don't like that. At least I don't. Uh, Confession uh, time. I hate to wait. Amen? Anybody? 
So I'm in ShopRite the other day, right? And I've got, you know, get my stuff. I've got my bread. I've got my mayonnaise. I've got my, you know, fluffernutter. And I go to the lines. You ever do this? You go to the checkout, and there are two lines, two checkout lines. This one has three people in it. This one has four. But these people have more stuff than the four. Oh, you know, you kind of look it up, and you eyeball it real quick, and I'm like... Always go with three. And you know, I go to three and you choose three and I'm waiting in line because I want to get through the quickest one, obviously. But do you ever do this thing where you're standing in line and out of your peripheral vision, you eyeball the person who would have been you if you were in the other line and you're like, oh, she's getting ahead of me. No, okay, he's got coupons. Awesome. And if you get through, you feel like I made it because I don't have to wait. Anymore. It's a silly example, but most of you hate to wait too. In fact, that's what many of the main questions were about, waiting for a spouse. A child, a new direction in life, waiting for an answer to your when question. When am I going to get married? When will I find a new job? When will the recession end? When will my my loved one get healed? When will I discover what I'm meant to do in my life? When we're in the dip, most of our questions here begin with when. We question God's timing in our life or the lives of those around us, quite honestly. Now, why is that? The answer, it turns out, is because most of us hate geology. Is that obvious to you? You're like, what? Geology? The study of rocks. You remember this. Anyone took geology in college? At a geology 101 class, it was called Rocks for Jocks. And the only thing I remember, I remember one thing, is Dr. Greenberg, he was on the first day of class, he, he said, okay, geology is actually really simple for some of you rockheads here. He goes, geology is nothing more, and you can write this down, the study of pressure plus time. Write that down, and you get all an A in geology. Pressure plus time, that's what it is. It sounds like I go to Long Island Community College, that's amazing. Uh, this is, he said pressure plus time in the earth. And, and we were like, what are you talking about? He's like, you got to understand. He goes, and take any element. And there's pressure going on in the earth. And as tectonic plates shift and squeeze and they cause friction, they heat up the elements. Over time, they can create this. That's El Capitan from Yosemite National Park. Majestic mountain, isn't it? Pressure over time can actually create this. Incredible takes your breath away, doesn't it? Thousands of years of wind and rain and ocean, relentlessly carving, pounding, pressure applied over time. And that's, that's really what the dip is, isn't it? I mean, that's what waiting is. Waiting is time. And we don't like it in the dip because it's full of pressure. The reality is this, we hate to wait. And yet Habakkuk teaches us that our time in the dip applies pressure in time in our life in such a way that if we embrace it, it will produce a couple of dramatic changes in our life. And the first is this, pressure plus time will change your patience. And the second is that pressure plus time will fundamentally change your perspective. Let's look at patience first. If you look at verse three, what does it say? For the revelation awaits a what? An appointed time, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And the word I object to is linger. Who remembers the song Linger by the Cranberries? Do you remember that one? It goes back a little bit. Let's kick it old school. Do you have to? Do you have to let it linger? Oh, you just wanted me to sing it. That's so bad. You threw me under the bus. You're like, no, Tim, sing it. Uh, you have to let, let it linger. We hate that because it means we have to wait for something. A lot of us have lingering situations in our lives that if we could ma- wave a magic wand, we want to resolve it very quickly. 
And yet God says there's actually a time, in fact, it's a what? An appointed time. That means it's in my book and I know about it, but you don't. And here's the hard part. I want you to what? Wait for it. The problem is most of us hate to wait. This was driven home to me three weeks ago when an 18-wheeler drove by our house. We live on a busy street, and the cable vision line, we get cable, uh, he actually snapped it, snap, ripped it right off of the, you know, the side of our house. And there goes our cable, there goes our telephone, goes our modem, you know, all the stuff's wrapped up in it. So I call cable vision. And I talked with a lovely lady from Cablevision. Actually, I didn't get anybody from Cablevision. They said, thank you for calling. Your wait time is approximately 15 minutes. And then they play classical music, which is not comforting to me. This makes me angrier, actually. And as it's played the classical music, I'm like, okay, I can't hang out. Every two minutes, they, they would refresh it. Your wait time is approximately 12 minutes just to kind of rub it in. So I wait, and I wait, and I wait, because I'm like, I got to get this stuff fixed, until finally a woman gets on and says, uh, thank you for your patience, thank you for calling Cablevision, and I lie, no problem, you know. And, uh, and she says, okay, well, let's see, Mr. Lucas, okay, yeah, we see your cable's down. I can have a man there to fix your cable between the hours of 10 a.m. and, let's see, 6 p.m. Does that work with your window of time? And I said, uh, yeah, thank you very much. That window works awesome for me. I had nothing to do for eight hours. I mean, it was incredible, right? Nothing to do. And she's like, great, sir. Cablevision is happy to serve you. I'm like, no, Tim Lucas is happy to serve you. And to his credit, eight hours of waiting, the cable guy gets there around, you know, 3, 3 p.m. And I'm like, hey, thanks for being early. And when he rang my bell, I had just, you know, I kind of wanted to like open the door and say, hey, can you just hang out for a minute? Slam, like, wait till six. Wait time. Most of us buck against it, but it's one thing to wait for the cable guy to arrive. It's another to wait on getting married, isn't it? Or to have kids. You guys remember the movie My Cousin Vinny? My biological clock is ticking here. You remember this? When we are in the dip, most of our questions have to do with when, God's timing. If we're waiting on something, a move, a new job, a relationship, we're pretty confident that we know when the appointed time should be. And that's why we get upset. That's why we get angry. That's why we, we, we freak out or despair. Because it seems justified, but it really challenges our own sense of omniscience. I know what's best pretty much all the time. I'm 39, for heaven's sakes. I should be married by now. I have sent out 90 resumes. I should have the job. They violate our sense of certainty. And yet the Bible actually says certainty is overrated. There's this passage in James 4 that says this. Now listen, uh, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. See, time and pressure reveal often who we believe is really in control of things. And most of us believe, for all of our lip service, I'm in control of my life, and I know what timetable it should follow, and when things should occur. But the Bible says, you know what? You don't at all. In fact, the best you could say is, well, if it's the Lord's will, I'll be alive tomorrow. <laughs> but that's why we hate the dip, because it's like the roller coaster. What's that feel like? Free fall, lack of control. But this is not how the fruit of patience is formed in us. It's called humility. In other words, the Bible says your primary posture is to acknowledge that you are not omniscient. 
You don't really know how things should go. And even if we were, you're not omnipotent. You lack the power to even make it happen, if you could, which is humbling. But it really underlines the central message of the Bible. The central message of the Bible is, there is a God. You ain't him. That's the big E on the eye chart, guys. There's a God, and you ain't him, cable guy. And to the degree that we forget that, we become proud and actually start trusting in our own plans and strength, like the Babylonians. That was their sin in chapter 1. Look how it ends. Their own strength is their God. So it leads to despair when God's timetable doesn't match ours. But mark this. What Habakkuk's saying here in verse 3 is that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Look at the text. What's he say? There is an appointed time. In other words, I know you can't see it because you're in the dip, but guess what? I have a larger, broader term perspective on this thing. And some of you guys need to just hear this today because it is easy to despair or get discouraged or depressed when you're in the dip. But the truth is this. God's delays are not always God's denials. When God makes a promise, you can take it to the bank. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And God was literally like to Habakkuk. He's like, you gotta understand. I will punish the Babylonians for their sin. Don't worry, I am just. And I have a long-term plan to set the world right. I'm gonna punish the wicked as well as provide future and a hope for those who trust me, who hang on through it. And this is liberating. Because if we're humble enough to actually let go of our certainty, release our our, our benchmarks, our timetable for life, we develop patience, which is very freeing in life. Because no longer do you have to compare yourself with others. Well, all my friends are married, but not me. Always a bridesmaid, never the bride. All my friends are having kids, but our clock's ticking. That's okay. Because Father knows best, and apparently, my baking time isn't like everybody else. So I can let go, I can let it linger, and I can lean in. Remember, I'm teaching my little girl, Chase, how to ride the roller coaster. That's the fun. Don't brace your arms, Chasey, when you get into the dip. Just like lean in. It actually, half the fun is that you don't know what's around the corner, and that can drive you either crazy with anxiety and worry, or it could set you free. And God's like, don't linger, wait for it, because God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Back to geology class. You know what pressure plus time is also capable of? Taking this and squeezing it and heating it and pressure and turning it into this. Yeah. A diamond is nothing but pressure applied to coal over thousands and thousands of years. Some of you have questions that have to do with timing. When will so-and-so be healed? When will I get out of this dead-end job? Some of you, you have questions that deal with pressure at work, right? When will business pick up? When, when will I get out of debt? But pressure applied over time is not actually pleasant at the time. It's often painful. But what's God doing that whole time? Answer, he's producing something in you that you can never generate yourself, ever. Did you know that coal and diamonds are actually made out of the exact same thing? They're both made out of anybody know? Carbon, same thing. But when heat and high pressure are applied to this, the order of the atoms transforms. And it takes extreme pressure and thousands of years, but the conditions are right. Guess what? All the impurities get drawn to the surface. And this is the result. This is the result of time and pressure. Same with your soul. 
This is how God shapes us. That's why sometimes we say, I feel like I'm going through the fire, heat and pressure. But when a few things, when things cool, guess what's on the other side? Your heart undergoes a transformation. That's why James writes, remember he said, remember, it's weird to us. Consider it pure what? Joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Wait, I'm on the Jesus juice. It's all exciting. But consider it when I go into the dip. Yes. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work in you so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is God's goal for you. Listen, ladies, here is a very serious truth. Time and pressure have a way of completing you that a man never can. Whoa. Real quick amens on that. Wow, that made me nervous there. God's number one goal for you is not to become married, but to become mature. You know how they tell the worth of a diamond? What do they do? How do they do it? Oh, how clear is it? No. How much it what? How much it weighs. The weight of a diamond determines its worth. Our weight is similar. God uses it to refine our character and shave off the images, the edges, draw out the impurities of us and rearrange our atoms and make us humble, patient, actually willing to wait. So singles, mark this. God is forging patience in some of you right now. And you go back or you give up at your peril. I say the same thing to you married couples. I understand this. And it, you may be, I understand, you may be ready to throw in the towel. I get that. You're in a bad season right now. There are no sparks. There's no connection. And you're tired of fighting, quite honestly. You're like, that's my husband. This is him. Okay, that's that. You're ready to give up and just start the whole thing over. Do you know what happens to a piece of coal when it's drawn from the earth prematurely? Nothing. It stays black and bitter. The reality is, that's where your heart can go. I know, because I've met a lot of people who've let it go there. They've given up prematurely. And it's made their heart black, quite honestly, and bitter towards God and towards the opposite sex. And it's it's tragic. Because God's up to something very different. If you are willing to wait and trust him in the dip. It is tragic. Through time and pressure, you know what he's doing? He's cutting you for fire. Has anyone ever heard that? When I was shopping for um, Colleen's wedding ring, I was like, ooh, that one's really spark. This is not her wedding ring diamond, <laughs> uh, by the way, right? Okay, oh, shocker. Uh, some of you are like, wow, man, it's like, ooh, cool. Um, it was one of them was real spark, and I was like, that's amazing. Why is that one so much brilliant? He goes, oh, you can't afford that. That one's cut for fire. I said, cut for fire, what does that mean? They said, actually, that one has extra cuts in it, edges, so that what it does is it traps the light, and actually, when the light hits it in just a certain way, the light gets caught in, and it bounces off of it, and it starts sending the light and refracts it in every possible way, and it's more brilliant than all the rest. Cut for fire. When you're in the dip, you feel like you're getting cut. But even though you're not finding Mr. Right, you're becoming the right kind of person to marry. The kind that doesn't put a trust in any man because you're actually learning to trust Christ even more. Pressure plus time equals patience. Geological promise, number one. Take heart. Some of you who feel stuck or stalled in life, Habakkuk teaches us that God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Though it linger, wait for it. He is shaving off, he is refining your heart, your character during this critical time. 
Second thing you'll see here is that it changes our perspective. And this is interesting. Because in verse 1, Habakkuk uses this fascinating image. Check it, take a look at it. He's waiting for God to answer his questions. And he says this, I will what? Stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. And the image here is of a sentry kind of standing at attention on a castle wall, kind of like at full attention, just kind of dialed in, locked into his duty here. Kind of saying, no matter what happens, I will not leave my post. I will stand at my watch. That's the image he's giving here. And this is very significant because honestly, most people give up right here in chapter 2. When we hit a wall and our prayers are not being answered, that's when we stop doing our duty, quite honestly. Is this not? I mean, my prayers are not being answered, so why pray? What's the point? We stop praying. We stop going to worship. We stop going to our life group. Whatever it is. Why? Answer. It's just honest. Because you're filled with self-pity and you actually feel like you're not getting anything out of it. And yet scripture says doing our duty during a dip, during a season of waiting is often one of the most spiritually fertile things we can do in our journey in all of life. See, the word waiting, this is kind of interesting. The word waiting, you may have picked up on this already, has two meanings, doesn't it? Wait may mean like you need patience. You need to kind of like, you know, wait because things are being delayed. But to wait on somebody also means what? To what? Serve them. That's what a waiter or waitress does. Oh, I'm waiting on you. And that's the idea here. The idea is that in the dip, sometimes it seems like nothing is happening. There's no growth. But sometimes we're serving God most when it's simply being faithful, where there's no benefit to ourselves. And this is key, folks. This is not just some sort of grim, so do your Christian duty out of guilt. What happens is when we serve God with no benefit to us, at least we don't see the benefit to us, it refines our faith. Instead of saying a baby Christian sipping our Jesus juice out of our sippy cup, I go to God to get good stuff and he answers me, I'm good. We can't stay here. God won't let you stay here. He won't let you stay a spiritual infant forever. Only when everything's stripped away do we get to answer God's question to us. We've got questions for God. But sometimes God has a question for us in the dip. He says, now we're going to find out if you got into this relationship to serve me or to get me to serve you. Now we'll know. Because we'll see if you wait. That's what God's after. He's after our hearts, guys. He wants us to obey, not out of duty, but out of love. Just like out of pure passion. I mean, isn't that the point of any parent's desire for their kids? To grow up? That's what mature and complete is. Right now in my house, with my two little kids, we basically use sticks and carrots. You know what sticks and carrots are? They say in diplomacy, you use sticks and carrots. Sticks is pretty much like kind of threats. Like, hey, be nice to your brother. I'm going to take your iPod away. Carrots. Carrots are basically bribes. Be nice to your brother and uh, you can watch Spongebob. For the first 12 years of life, that's pretty much all parents use. Amen? (laughs) Sticks and carrots to train their kids. But wouldn't it be sad if my little girl grew up to be 25, I still need to bribe her to show some love to her brother? That'd be sad. Because our goal for her is to grow up and that we have shaped her soul over time with some pressure. (laughs) And it's mature so that I actually now can respond freely out of love, pure True love, those of you who have loved somebody through it, when they're giving you nothing in return, understand that love is defined as being faithful even when you're getting nothing out of it. So here's a gut check. Because God's got a question while we wait. Did you get into this relationship to serve me or to get me to serve you? 
This is a key moment, guys, for some of you. It is a moment, an opportunity to grow actually as lovers of God. Only in the dip, when everything gets stripped away and we're not getting what we want, Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, only in this moment do you have a chance to turn your self-interested, exploitative relationship with God into pure passion. Love without strings. I'm talking about deep discipleship here. I'm not talking about a few verses. If you look at the people in God's story who wrestle through hard times with God, Job, David in the Psalms, right? And they stick with him even when everything is seemingly unfair. Moses, you're going to be a great leader, so go wait in the desert for about, let's see, four decades. Joseph, I'm going to use you powerfully. You're going to rise to power. I'm going to speak through you, and you need to first go to prison. They eventually become lovers of God and experience him more deeply than anybody else in God's story. Why? Because their self-interest gets drained right out of it. Their selfish motives get purified. Their faith gets refined. And they just learn to love God for who he is, not just what he can do for you. See, folks, on the other side of waiting for God, guys, on the other side of this, be encouraged, is an unshakable hope. Unshakable. Because you get to know him in a new way. It's a hope that gets forged in the character of God, not just the circumstances of life. In Romans 5, 3, and 4, Paul writes this. He says, we also, where it is again, what? Rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character what? Hope. Hope is the name of the most famous diamond in the world. How many of you have seen the Hope Diamond? Has anybody ever seen this? Maybe up close in the Smithsonian. Anyone want to take a guess? At how many carats the Hope Diamond is? 45 and a half carats. <laughs> it is a deep sapphire blue diamond. It is cut for fire. You see it in the Smithsonian. Do you know how long it took to forge that baby in the center of the earth? Wikipedia wouldn't tell me. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for an answer here. <laughs> Honestly, a long time, okay? But scripture says the seeds of hope are planted, guess what? During the dip, not after it. Not before it, but hope comes during it. Because as you persevere and you stay at you, your watch and you pray, even when you feel like I'm groping in the dark, God will use that to generate hope deep in your soul if you let him. Most of us think, no, 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 God's not answering my prayers. My prayer life is horrible. The reality is you are less likely to pray when all your prayers are being answered. I don't know anybody who has a great prayer life when they're not under what? Pressure. Because pressure has a way of driving us to need our needs. We have to lean into God. In a rich prayer life, we're far more than diamonds. A lot of the time we think, well, what's the point of prayer? Prayer doesn't change God's mind. Ah, now you're on to something. When we pray in the dip, prayer may not change God's mind, but guess whose it changes? Ours, mine. It takes time. We have to resist the temptation to leave our post. In the middle of his struggling and wrestling with God, Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and I will ride this out. And if you hang in there, guys, even when your relationship with God seems to have no earthly benefit, guess what? It will radically change your perspective on life. Watch this second part of the verse. I love this. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and what? Station myself on the ramparts and ramparts is just a fancy old english word for tower that's what a rampart was it was a tower which was actually the most critical part of a castle stronghold now why is a tower the most strategic part of a castle what does it let you do see off into the distance 
It gives you perspective from the ground. All you see is what's in front of you, but up in the tower, you get a different perspective. You can actually see things coming. You see the weather coming in. You see the enemies coming in. You can see long distance. It gives you perspective. So if I'm in the east rampart and I see 2,000 enemy troops, I'm like, sound the alarm, 2,000 troops coming. But here's the deal. Every castle was built 360. They had at least four different ramparts on the edge of the castle. So the guy in the west rampart, the tower says, oh, let him come because we got 10,000 reinforcements coming from the west. Bring it on. Different perspective. What's Habakkuk getting at? If you are going to survive your time in the dip, you will need at least as much time in the tower to get a long-term perspective on things. Because when we are in pain or in crisis, our perspective is typically very (laughs) short-sighted. And you can't look at the problem in isolation. You put it in the larger perspective of what the Bible tells you is true about God, even when you can't see it. I'll give an example. I mean, the Apostle Paul suffered many pains during his life. And in 2 Corinthians 11, he basically catalogs them. This is a hilarious part. It's not hilarious. It's just like, whoa. It's just, he goes like this. He says, uh, so check this out. Uh, you got a pen? I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rod. Once I was stoned. The ancient kind of stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked, and I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Translation, Paul spent some serious time in the dip. Why? Every Christian does. It is normative for the Christian life. Paul says, besides everything else, I face daily the, what's the word? Pressure of my concern for all of the churches. If anybody had a reason to doubt God and go back or give up, it was Paul. I mean, you talk about pressure. And yet, somehow, the same man is able to write in Romans 8, But I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I I can see something out in the distance. Why? Because Paul spent time in the tower considering the journey Jesus had been on and said, you know what? In comparison, everything is very, very small. Paul's entire faith was found in Christ. So is ours. What does that mean? What does the journey of Jesus tell us about our journey? Well, it tells us many things, but the most important is this. A cross always precedes a crown. Always. Habakkuk is a microcosm of the gospel, folks. I mean, Jesus' ministry flourished people followed him and it got better and better as he got closer to Jerusalem, but all of a sudden it started turning bad and people deserted him and actually one betrayed him and he underwent a serious crisis. And do you know what he did during this time in the dip? He wrestled. He had questions for God. He said, Father, if it's possible, what? Take this cup from me. I don't want to go in here. But guess what? Father decided differently. And Jesus had to actually drink from this cup. It's an interesting thing about a dip. If you ever see an indentation in the earth, it actually gathers things there. And when Jesus talks actually about the cup of wrath, of God's wrath being poured out, saying, actually, I'm going to suffer the ultimate injustice. I'm going to drink from the cup. I'm going to take on your sins. I'm going to take on the sins of the world. And even though they're not mine, I'm going to pay for them. And I'm going to drink it until I can't drink anymore. Because the cross always precedes the, the crown. Always. You can't just go to chapter 3, folks, in resurrection. 
That's where the journey eventually ends. I mean, this, this literally is the gospel. Here's chapter 1. Here's chapter 2, the cross. And here is Jesus risen and coming again, hope. Habakkuk is a microcosm of the gospel, and Jesus is the ultimate Habakkuk. That's our faith. And when I looked at that, I was like, what were the disciples thinking when they were in the dip? Three days must have seemed like an eternity. And you know what? They were asking all of the same questions that many of you are right now. Why is God letting this happen? This is the worst possible thing. This is not the way that things should go. I didn't, we didn't plan this. And you know what? They were right. But from an eternal perspective, up in the tower, God was working, wasn't he? Yeah? Jesus was not just enduring pain and death for no good reason. He was conquering it entirely to give you a new kind of life with his spirit living out of you. And because of that, we had great hope for the future. If you spend time in the tower and you look at the big picture of Jesus' journey, how it actually mirrors yours, you'll learn your present position is not your future destination. And that perspective changes everything. Suddenly you start seeing things differently in life when you look at it through the gospel lens. You're like, whoa, wait, whoa, wait a minute. I'm sick, but the only sickness that can actually really kill me is sin, and that's been conquered. Yeah, your present position is not your future destination. Don't linger, wait for it. Oh, every crisis you have starts taking a different perspective. I'm, I'm in debt, but actually the only debt that can really sink me has been paid for. My present position is not my final destination. I'm in chapter 2 right now. I know chapter 3 is ahead. I can't see it from down here, but I'll wait for it. I will let it linger because I have, what's the word in verse 4? Look, the righteous will live by his. What's faith? Important phrase here. Hebrews 11 defines faith this way. It says, now faith is being what? Sure of what we hope for, everyone together, and certain of what we do not see. That's the hardest part of the dip. We ain't sure what's coming next or if something will come at all. Will I get married? Maybe. Maybe not. Will my loved one be healed? Maybe. Maybe not. But if you truly have faith, you can have hope because your entire perspective will change. You will actually say, by faith I realize I will be married someday. And actually, apparently my wedding reception is going to kick the butt of my obnoxious Italian roommate who rubbed it in my face because this is going to be the wedding feast to end all wedding feasts. And I'm not going to invite her. No, that's not true. I'm evangelistic. But, you know, I can have hope about this because I will, you will, folks, you will not be alone forever. You will have a wedding. Some of you will have it here, but eternal perspective. If you are suffering, you will be healed. You will not know pain forever. There will be this moment in life, Chris, when you can walk again. We've talked about this. Yes, you will. Can we hear it for Chris's hope?
Chris will walk again soon. That's what faith is. Chapter 3 is the only sure thing that we can be certain of in life. You, you can mark it. Though it linger, wait for it. Because it will come and it will not delay. That's the essence of faith. Let's say it together. What's faith? It is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. And that's a reason for great joy. Folks, every day we choose bitterness or joy. You choose it. Chris chooses it. God is shaping our soul. He's shaping it. And it's a choice. But it depends on your perspective. You either choose to see your life through the gospel lens of Jesus. Because in our life, a cross always precedes a crown. Always. That's why Hebrews tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author, author meaning he's writing your story, folks. He's writing it. And he is the what? The perfecter of our faith. We can actually have confidence that Jesus will get us to chapter 3 because he's been there himself. Consider him who endured the cross, scorning at shame, and sat down at the right hand of God where he was crowned. Consider him, he says, so that you will not grow weary and lose what? Heart. There's only one way, folks, to survive your wait time. And that's to walk in the steps of the one who's gone ahead. Because Christ drank the cup, absorbed the worst the world has to offer, and lived to tell about it, we have hope. And we can know joy even in dark times. Your present position is not your future destination. And God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. So take heart. Because God's at work. God is on his throne and he is making all things new, including you. Let's pray right now. Father, every man and woman in this room, I pray for your Holy Spirit. Now, just to confirm, Lord, what you have been speaking through your word. Let it be your words, Jesus, right now. In their heart, in their life, Father, a thousand different stories in this room, a thousand different applications right now. I ask for your Holy Spirit, Father. Give us strength to wait it out. Give us new eyes to see, Lord. Fill our hearts with faith. I thank you, Lord, for the life of the faithful people of this church. Father, I thank you for Chris. I thank you for the hope that we see in his life. Lord, we, Jesus, we thank you for every single person here who is struggling maybe with you, God, but right now you are, can be closer to them than ever. I pray you would. Lord, every marriage that needs upholding, every person who's starting again, Father, maybe divorcing, and there's no chapter two for me. There is chapter two. There's even more of chapter three. Breathe hope in your people. We can't wait to turn the page and see you face to face. And we do it and wait for you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. All God's people said together, amen. Good to be with you guys. Love you guys. We'll see you next week for chapter three.